Welcome to the Footprints Across Texas. I'm Charles Aver, and this is the story of the Kreischer family on the bluff in LaGrange, Texas. It's the decade of 1880 to about 1920, and as 1880 comes on the horizon, Kreischer's Brewery is, is literally the seventh largest brewery in the state of Texas. He's averaging about 700 kegs a year which is quite good considering the location that he's in and what his competition will be in 1881. 1881 brings the arrival of the railroad and the railroad brings the arrival of refrigerated cars from the northern breweries, namely August Bush and William Lemp, Lemp being the larger of the two. So now they have the ability to bring cold beer to Texas and to the ice houses around the Grange and also the saloons around LaGrange on the square. So Kreischer sees the opportunity, but he really doesn't, he really doesn't uh, grasp the total change that's coming to the brewing business. Instead, he makes, it a, he makes an attempt to sell Anheuser-Busch beer at his saloon, if you would, his, his ice house on the square in downtown LaGrange. It is also in 1881 he begins a construction of an ice house on the corner of Travis Street and Main Street in LaGrange, which will become the Palace of Ice Houses. It is advertised in the Galveston newspapers, it is advertised in the local papers, and is advertised in the Brenham Banner Press. Soon it will open in 1882, but Kreisch's beer will become a thing of the past because of the consistency of the brewery and the ice, the cold beer that comes with it. Unfortunately, on March 17, 1882, Heinrich Kreischer passes away. Now, as you read the documentation as to what caused him passing away, it was, as legend says, a wagon full of rock fell on him and crushed him to death. Yet you read the San Antonio German paper, the Texas Free Press, you get a different perspective in that he lingered with kidney failure. So he dies at age 1862, and that death, the loss of the patriarch of the family, causes the Chrysler estate to go into a tailspin. What is unknown to, to Josepha Chrysler, his wife, is that the, the family is in debt beyond all comprehension. As Josepha tries to make ends meet, Annie leaves for San Antonio, which is kind of odd because she is the oldest daughter. Annie leaving to go to San Antonio to what we thought was live with her brother Carl, but instead ended up in a boarding house of a Mrs. Brown with five men. Annie becomes a very successful seamstress and a very successful hat maker in San Antonio. She visits the bluff periodically back and forth via train from San Antonio to Schulenburg, but she doesn't stay. And I find I found that odd as I was uh, writing the book. So lo and behold, Henry Lewis, who is the oldest, Otto, who is the next to the oldest, boy in the house, their responsibility now becomes to run that brewery. And it is a very, very difficult, difficult task. So much so that in the fall, September of 1884, the last bottle of Kreischer's Bluff beer rolls out of that brewery. The last keg of Kreischer's beer 
pulls out of that brewery. Josepha is trying to make ends meet. She is responsible for feeding. She is responsible for keeping her arms around the estate, if you would, and it's becoming more and more difficult each day. Julia is 10 years old. She's born in 1870. She's a help around the house, but the oldest daughter leaving creates a big hole in terms of assistance. It is also during this period of time that Lena, the middle daughter, starts to act out in strange ways what we believe to be a schizophrenia. So there's a number of issues going on with Josepha. There's a number of issues going on with the Kreischer family on the bluff. Josepha turns to her nephew, William Appelt, from Hallettsville, Texas. And I often wondered why she didn't turn to her oldest son, Henry Lewis, to help them through this difficult time. The issue is that William Appelt is the wealthiest man in Lavaca County. He has the means in which to move forward through the legal process to keep this family together. Because if the courts have their way, they will seize the property, auction it off. So William Appelt comes to the rescue. He immediately starts designing what real estate pieces he can jettison to make money. And the first piece that he sells is the 400 acres on the uh, Llano River, which was the original land grant that Kreischer got as part of the Varine when, uh, when he immigrated to this country. He got a grand total of $900 for that. So in the commissioner's court, there's, there's notes that reflect. And one of the commissioners asks William Appelt, do you have $20,000 net worth in order to cover the debts of this estate? William Appelt replies, not only do I have $20,000, I have well north of $20,000. So if it wasn't for William Appelt, and I look back at it today, the Chrysler the home as we know it, and the Chrysler estate and the, and the park and all would not be there. So William Appelt is the one who salvages it all. Gets to 1890, things start to improve a little bit. Henry Lewis takes a job downtown. Uh, Franklin takes a job downtown. He starts working in a grocery store called Tiemann's. It is also in 1893 that Otto Kreischer dies. He dies as a young, young man. Now, everybody loves Otto Kreischer. He's 37 years old. He studies architecture in Europe for a period of time, and then he comes back home. But he never uses that. He works in the tax assessor's office in LaGrange. He dies of consumption, what was called the white plague back in the day, and he is buried on the bluff along with his father. There is no fanfare to his death. It is a simple burial of which the Varine oversees. It is also at this same time Josepha starts to age. There is a building resentment, if you would. There is a building storm on the horizon that she must tackle alone, and that storm involves the tomb. There are citizens of LaGrange who wish that tomb to be open to the public. Now keep in mind that the tomb is on the Chrysler land. So the only way that the public can get access to it is to file suit 
through the state of Texas and condemned the one quarter acre on which the tomb lies. And that goes through the state courts pretty quick. There is a group of commissioners who are assigned to go up to the bluff and try to negotiate with the Chrysler family. And one of the commissioners on his way back referred, don't ever go back there again because there's no talking to those women, those women being Julia and her mother. It's a, it's a, it's a vast dynamic that's working now. 1906 is a, is a watershed point. Josepha is 62 years old. She is tiring and she is weary. She is fighting this battle since 1884. And she turns to her, her oldest son, Henry Lewis, and she says to him, I want you to have this estate. I mentioned it to Annie, but Annie doesn't want any part of it. I want you to have this estate. I don't ever want you to sell this estate without the consent of the rest of the children. I don't ever want anything to happen to those kids. And I'm, I'm banking on you, Henry Lewis, to take care of them, to which Henry Lewis agrees. It is 1906, and Lena is removed from the Kreisha house by the courts because she's declared a lunatic in the San Antonio courts. Now, one of the interesting portions of the Kreisha story in regard to is that lawyers come from here. And as we researched and researched and researched the San Antonio courts, they have the documentation. But the judge would not release that documentation as to what the diagnosis is of Lena Kreisha. She is a staunch Catholic. She is a very smart girl. She's a very talented girl, as evidenced by her drawings and her book. But to this day, we don't know because of sealed document. Every time I went to... Uh, to see the records, I was denied under the HEPA law, Health Education Privacy Act. Now, keep in mind, the woman's been dead over 100 years. So what we did, we went through the newspapers and looked at the court documents and looked at the medications and the prescriptions. And one of the drugs that she took was troconal. Troconal is, uh, is a sedative. So that tells us that she was going into rages, which her mother could not control. So Josepha dies in 1906. Lena is hospitalized at the San Antonio Moody Sanitarium, which later becomes the San Antonio State Hospital. So things are becoming unraveling on the bluff, and here's Henry Lewis, who's in charge of everything, because Josepha has gone. One of the things that struck me in terms of research, in terms of documentation, was that when Heinrich died... There wasn't a big fanfare. When Josepha died, there was a pouring and outpouring from this community. The LaGrange band played at her funeral. The wake was at the house. People from all around came to pay their respects to Josepha Kreischer. And when you look at the description of what, what mourning periods look like, she was laid out in what is now the parlor of the Kreisha home. The mirrors were draped in black. The clocks were all set at the time 
of her death. And when she departed her beloved home, she was carried out feet first, led by the Lagrange band and the Schutzenverein to her resting place in the family cemetery, which was then on the bluff. The band played the funeral dirge. She is laid to rest, and the captain of the Verein reads words over her grave. Here lies one of the greatest, most tender, most loving women that we will ever see. Bless her. It is 1920. Fast forward. Henry Lewis has promised to take care of his sisters, not to leave them, not to lend them out of the house, but to take care of everything, including the bluff, including the property. And it's a constant upkeep because there are trespassers down at the old brewery, which is in ruins by this point. There are trespassers at the pecan grove down below to the point that they have to put an ad in the paper saying it's private property, stay off. You will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Yet the trespassers continue. In 1920, Annie returns home. She comes home because Henry Lewis dies. Now Henry Lewis is the caretaker of the estate. They have lost their suit with regard to the tomb, so that is open to public access. So there's people all over their property. There are, there are stories where if they left and went someplace and came back, there were people walking through their home. So the trespassing becomes a major issue. They are no longer responsible per se for that tomb, so the tomb has deteriorated to the point that yes, the crisis still feel an obligation, especially the girls, to rake the bones because people were using them for target practice. The snakes, the lizards, the dilapidation of the tomb. So it's, it's just a configuration of moving parts. There's also the fact that the Daughters of the Republic of Texas, the Dawson Eastland chapter, decides to get into the fray that they will take over the tomb. But they want more land, and that land comes off the Kreisha estate. And keep in mind that Heinrich told his family, I want to be buried on the ground from which I worked all these years. So there's, there's all these dynamics coming together. In 1920, Lena is at the San Antonio State Hospital, which is the Moody Hospital. In 1921, in January 1921, she's transferred to St. Mary's Sanitarium in Bernie, Texas. Here she dies. She dies of consumption. So she is returned home by train, and she referred to in the paper as Miss Kreisha, and she was a devout Catholic, and she was a devout Catholic till her dying days. So now within two years, two of the Chrysler chi Kreischer children have died, 1920 being Henry Lewis, 1921 being Lena. So the only surviving ones are Annie, Franklin, 
and Julia. And that's where we'll pick up the rest of the story in the next episode.